that you? <laughs> What's up, bud? Who else would it be? I don't know. Nine oh two on nine oh two on a Tuesday. Tuesday <laughs> another dreary day here in um, New England. Yeah, we Although, actually cleared up uh, here in Jersey today. Did it? I will say the last from like about five to seven p.m. I did observe some sun, so yeah. that was good. Yeah. Nice. Good we got that out of the way because now I'm sure it'll be rainy, dreary, gray, suicide weather for the next week, you know? Well, that's honest of you to say something like that. I'm very honest. You know I am. I see that our guest has, jo- have jo- has joined us. What's Sal- up, guys? What's up, Sal? How, Sal, this is my co-host, Bobros. Bobros, meet Sal. Sal, a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, Barbaros. It's uh, the pleasure is mine. All right, uh, we'll we'll get into it in just about a second. Uh, we are very one thankful second. and appreciative. One, oh no, one I'm talking. Was I in the middle of saying something? And you just jumped in at him. No, I just ahead. shut. I just shut down. Yeah, I just yeah. But I'm I'm a human being. You know, I don't have feelings. Just <laughs> go. Say your spiel. I would like to introduce our show. And for our listeners who might be their first episode, possibly episode number 28. I'm still counting. You're still counting. I'm not not confident on 28. I was confident on 27. I'm I'm not confident that this is 28. But Well, I think uh, 27 was last week, and you just add one. So I think you're right. Uh, math, not my strong suit. Um, so, uh, welcome everybody who is listening to the addict and the counselor. Uh, we can be found on any and all podcast platforms. Um, so please listen to us, please follow, please tell a friend. Um, you know, um, you know, we're here. You can also email us at the addict and the counselor at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns. If you listen to us on Spotify, you can comment directly on the episode to really engage with us. You know, let us know how you're doing. Uh, more importantly, I think if there's a topic that we haven't covered yet that it's important to you or we should cover, let us know and we will absolutely you know, dive headfirst uh, with no uh, life preservers into that conversation. But today we have an uh, esteemed guest. Let me stop you right there. Um you did a really nice job with that, and you even hit on the Spotify comment thing, which I like because you usually miss that. So you did a great job. Um, I do want to touch on one thing before we really get into it. Right. I happen to be watching the Chiefs game, and I know you're, you're a big oh, Chiefs God. guy. That's your thing. You have all the swag, you know, your rah rah Chiefs. And I noticed that you beat the Bears, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a butt whooping. It was a great game for me as a uh, Chiefs lover, a Chiefs fan. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I like when my team uh, destroys the other team. It's, uh, you know, makes you feel good. I, I just don't think you take that win without Taylor Swift there. No, she, she was the <laughs> X Factor. It was Taylor Taylor Swift effect. Um, I went back. You're 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 two and one. 
Mm-hmm. Taylor started seeing Kelsey on the 15th. You won on the 17th. Mm-hmm. On the low key, they were seeing each other. And now it's fucking all out there. And I'm not for that relationship, by the way. Because? For the record. Because he's, he's a dink. Um, bad rep, I'm telling you. I ha- I've watched... Uh, yeah, the bad rap. Let, let me just tell you that I'm overstimulated with all the footage and information that w- that's been gathered. All the footage, my feed is just constant. Every time I open it up, every other feed is is about it. Um, the footage that I saw, the footage that I saw, and I watched it repeatedly, of course, which means over fifty times, white <laughs> of them walking out of the locker room. And my interpretation of her expression was she was excited and giddy is the, the adjectives I'd use. Your and the expression, the expression on his face, mind you, was something that I've, I've known all too well, not to quote Taylor Swift's song all too well, but I did that. Um, oh God! His expression, his expression said something like, "Yeah, I'm going to f this b." Okay, <laughs> that's what the expression said. And sure I sent insane. it to a friend. I sent now, it to a friend. Sure said, tell me what nine one one on hold, so we can. I said, tell me what. I said, am I speaking? I said, let me. I, I sent it to a friend, and I said, tell me what these expressions mean. Confirmed, same assessment, although there's a lot of other people that don't have that assessment that I have, but I do have one. I do have one confirmed. And oh that's two yeah. human beings out of eight billion. So that means a lot. So, yep. And hopefully this will all be long over by October 20th at 8 p.m. when I'm seeing the movie. So, all right. Sal, just so you know, this isn't a football show, it's more of a Taylor Swift show. <laughs> And then we have Not, guests on every other week to share their recovery journey from addiction. <laughs> yes, yeah, so well, if you stay as far away from Taylor Swift stories, I would greatly appreciate it. Well, dude, you're talking to another. Uh, you're talking to a, a a Jason Kelsey fan. I'm an Eagles. I'm a diehard Eagles guy. Ah. Uh, well, that's the thing. Taylor Swift ha- is a Philadelphia Eagles fan, which is bullshit because now she's wearing all KC shit. So yeah. yeah. Um, I tend to agree with Adam on the, uh, on what I witnessed is that they were walking. It looked like what past the locker room or something. Um, I, I got the same, somebody who knows that look all too well as well. I I tend to agree with Adam on that one. So that's three out of 8 billion so far. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers go. I knew I picked you for our guest for what, (laughs) some reason. (laughs) I think we're done with the show now, right? I think we're done. Sadly, I, Cannot get the the last seven minutes of my life back. So yeah, it's uh destroyed. Um, but just, let me one thing of it that I'm not sure either one of you have read into Adam, especially in in your chaotic obsessive Taylor Swiftness that night. So we're talking Sunday night. Travis rented out an entire restaurant. Yeah, we know, we know. But also, the, the he had teammates go too, so it wasn't just them two. The, the attendance out. was the attendance was in the range of fifty to sixty people. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Taylor had two cocktails. Oh, all right, I'm sorry. Was... Up. I'm sorry. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate it. I hope to get uh, to, to meet you face to face one day. Um, so, you know, we are here to you know support your story and whatever you're comfortable in sharing. Um, I know in our experience, when guests come on, uh, it really is a big hit with our audience. Uh, they really resonate with, you know, a part of the story, the whole story, and just a lot of relatability to that. So, uh, again, I mean, you have a life, you, you have things kind of going on. So whatever you're comfortable in sharing, how much of it you want to kind of get into, Adam and I will jump in and kind of ask, you know, deeper questions or follow-up questions if you're okay with that. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we'll start to kind of like wrap up close to the top of the hour, and then we'll get into uh, – the five five controversies. If you're up to uh, play with that, you know, play yeah, that. man, most most definitely, most definitely. Um, so so, would you like me to start? Yeah, the floor is yours. Cool, man. Uh, so yeah, guys, I'm uh, uh, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, thank you to thank you to um, Adam and you as well, Barbaros. Uh, my friend Eric reached out to me to see if I'd uh, if I'd be a guest on on the podcast. Eric's a close friend of mine who um, who actually. Uh, came up, came up. I'm in, uh, I'm, I'm located in Saco in Biddeford, Maine, which is the Southern part of the state. Um, and what I did was back in 2017, I moved up here when, um, when every other option I had failed, man. Um, I had about 15 hard years of ripping and running back, uh, from, from Vermont originally born, uh, born and raised a, a hardcore Eagles Phillies fan. My dad was a South Philly boy. Ah. Um, but yeah, man. So I, I, I grew up born and raised in, um, on the, about central Vermont, right on the New Hampshire border in a, in a, uh, somewhat small town called white river junction. And you guys might be familiar with it. I'm not sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So white river junction, uh, I grew up there, man. My, um, I'm, I'm an open book. I work in recovery. Um, I'm a, uh, unapologetic 12 step guy. <laughs> um, that's uh that's the path that's the path i found that worked for me um after i had tried everything under the sun man um and, and when i say that i don't i uh don't say that lightly i really mean that i tried absolutely every option mm -hmm. all right um what what can you kind of get into like what, what like how like what does 12-step work look like for you in terms of maintaining your sobriety Oh, I think we lost Sal somehow. No, well, he's still connected. I know. Oh, there we go. Yeah, right, right there. there yeah, go. there we go, yeah. guys. Um, so what twelve step work looks like for me? Um, at, in this part of my life, man, is I I work with other guys. I bring guys through the big book. Uh, I sponsor. I um I own a few recovery houses with a with a friend of mine. Um, down here we're twelve step recovery. We we guide guys through uh they can come in on the first step with no experience at all of any 12-step work sometimes we have guys come out of 12-step treatment centers that um are either right in their fourth or have just read their fifth and so we deal with guys at all different phases of uh of the process man um i do speaking engagements when asked i never say no um that's something i learned in recovery i used to say no to absolutely everything asked of me mm -hmm. So, um, I just, you know, I try to apply the opposite action to that. And, um, a big part of it for me, man, is what I truly believe. And I'll give you guys the top three things that 
you know, I will not stop doing. There's probably about five to ten things I don't stop doing, but the big three for me are, um, and I'll preface this with, I am not a religious man, but I pray every morning. Um, I meditate, and I make a note of it every day to at least work with somebody to help guide them through something that I previously have experienced in early recovery. Hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Can, so can you, can you get into like your, um, you know, when you first started, what that was, what that looked like for you and then the end of your using and, um, you know, and then how you found recovery, I guess. I'm Definitely. Interested. Definitely, man. It's, um, you gotta, you, you got a week. I can explain it all to you. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, so how it started out for me, man. Um, I grew up in a pretty alcoholic household. Um, Sal? Sal, you keep going in and out. You there, guys? Yeah. Yeah. What's um, I'm not sure why that's happening. My my screen's closing and then uh, I think I'm cutting yeah. out. So when you so are you using your phone? Yep. Yep. So keep on pressing. Don't let your screen gotcha. go up. So just keep hitting so it stays. I don't know what your timer it looks like. It's yeah. not it's like it's probably a minute or something. Um so either if you can go, I don't know if you can go in there and change the timer or just keep it alive, you know? If yeah, you know I'll, keep I mean. it, I'll keep it alive. I'll, I'll just keep uh, tapping it. But uh -huh. um, sorry, about, sorry that. about that, guys. Um, I'll continue. I'll continue. So I, I grew up in a fairly alcoholic household with um, with parents that provided for me as far as, you know, they knew everything I needed. Um, I was taken care of. I was fed. I was clothed. Um, I grew up initially fairly poor. Um, with my parents were trying to get a business up off the ground. Uh, what came with that business though? And, um, and expanding on these grandiose ideas, um, of creating a thriving business is what came with it for them was booze. And it was an every single night thing. Um, so it was very present. It was very present in my house. And as, as you guys probably know, and maybe some of the listeners don't know a lot of, uh, you know, the chaos that comes with that, you know, screaming matches. I never really witnessed, um, you know, physic, physical abuse between my parents. They did not get along. That's all I knew since, uh, since as early as I can remember. Hmm. Um, but ultimately, uh, what happened, I'll fast track here. I used to, I used to run away, like looking back and in hindsight, what I did really was I, I was always looking to be at one of my friend's houses mm -hmm. and, and, you know, in, as in my adult life, I look back at that and I, I say to myself, I'm like, oh, I was trying to avoid the, the circumstances, the situation and just what was going on at home. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, fast track, man, to high school, I think I was about 13 or 14. My dad was diagnosed with terminal um, stage four uh, tongue and throat cancer from being a lifelong smoker. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And at, the, at that time, it, it hit me. It hit me in a way I didn't really realize until later on, because because shortly after that's when I started to numb out a bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and ultimately what happened was uh, my parents, my parents' marriage was at a point right around the same time where uh, my mom had filed for divorce. So it was like all this, all this, these big changes for a 13, 14 year old, my brother, my older brother, who's my, uh, 
one of four siblings, but my only full sibling that grew up in the same house with me since I was a kid. Um, he's three years older than me, but we, we both were, were exposed to kind of this, uh, this big, like life T like, like T bone of like, Hey, here, here you go. Like deal with all this shit. Yeah. Massive heavy stuff. Yeah, man. Um, and ultimately what to me, it was, it, interestingly enough, like we only know what we know when we know it. So when I'm 14, yeah, I was able to see what was going on at my friends' homes around me. But to me, that was still normal. Like what, what our life is in the moment is, is our only normal. So, mm-hmm. so it was real interesting to, you know, move forward. And what had happened was my dad and my brother, uh, my brother had graduated high school. I was a freshman and they had moved down to New Jersey to South Jersey back kind of close to where my dad grew up in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, what happened was I, I didn't really, I escaped. I, I forgot to mention. So when I was 13, I picked up skateboarding. I'm 37. I still skateboard. So it's been a long, it's been one of those things in my life. That's been a constant. Nice. Um, what I really did was became almost obsessive with it. Mm. Um, I had a lot of friends that had been doing it for a few years. I became somewhat obsessive with it. And that became this thing that I was just like, Oh my God, I love doing this. I, it's so interesting to me. I love learning new things about it. Um, and became obsessive in nature over that. Mm. Um, and it really helped, it really helped me through high school. I was also a basketball player. Um, but ultimately, man, I was, I was the class clown too. go figure, uh, the youngest in an alcoholic household. I'm pretty sure any, uh, you know, most therapists would tell you I played the perfect role, <laughs> <laughs> um, seeking out attention in many different ways. Yeah. So, so yeah, ultimately, uh, man, I, I, I moved through high school and I, I would drink occasionally when, when I felt the pressure to do so. And I would smoke pot occasionally when I felt the pressure to do so. But in high school, I kind of, I remember going to some parties and seeing some people like with a, with a dollar bill snorting shit off of a plate. And I was like, what a bunch of losers. Mm-hmm. That was, that was my thought, right. When I was 17, 18, um, and I recall the, the first night that I ever really, um, that's not to say there weren't a couple blackout nights in uh, late high school that, that did happen to where I woke up and had no idea what happened, but, um, the consequences weren't there. You know, I didn't, I hadn't, I hadn't seen the consequences other than like, maybe I puked on my friend's mom's floor and, oh shit, we better clean it up before she finds out. <laughs> um, but you know, right out of high school, I stuck around my hometown and, uh, I remember a friend of mine brought over uh my my mom was gone and he came over to her house uh with and and he whipped out a bag of white powder and i remember being like i will never touch that stuff Mm. um and dude that night opened the floodgates for me and i can i can put my finger on it because i had never been obsessive over alcohol pot anything like that like i was after that night yeah um once i ingested cocaine man it was uh something happened to me and I remember it was that feeling of, holy shit, I felt, I felt worthy. I felt worthwhile. And I felt, um, I felt like I had this energy that I had been waiting for my whole life mm. um, of just feeling a part of something. Like endorphins, just flooding. Exactly. And um, from there, man, I remember it was six months until I did, uh, did cocaine again. And for that entire six months, I can't remember a day where I didn't think about it. Wow. Yep. Um, Sounds like cocaine to me. <laughs> <laughs> very much cocaine. 
Um, so yeah, man. And that, what happened after that is I really got into it. I had a couple of buddies that I found out were into it. Um, that were some of my old skate skateboard buddies from like early high school. I found out they were into it. And what happened is we started to, I started to, um, do it all the time. And what happens is, uh, unfortunately that hobby doesn't have much longevity, Mm. um, until you have to start like finding, being crafty in your ways to support your addiction and your, and your, and your need, your feeling for your need for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I started to do is I started to sell pot with some of my friends and that was semi lucrative until all the money that I was making would end up, end up up my nose. Um, shortly after man it was uh 19 around 19 18 19 years old my mom called my uh dad who was terminally ill down in new jersey i think they gave him six months to live he ended up uh he ended up holding on for about six years wow um since the since the original diagnosis so i I moved down to new jersey because i was on the verge of getting in some trouble back in vermont and i moved down to new jersey and within about a month i found all the right people that i was looking for yeah um, being a Vermont boy from the sticks, like you hear about the city, you know, I, I, I had been to Boston stuff like that. I traveled down to Philly with my dad, uh, as a kid, but you know, from Vermont, I'm like, Oh, aren't the drugs way better down that way? Um, I'm hmm. sure they are. And I moved down there and I made those connections and, and it just, uh, it exacerbated everything. Um, Ultimately, what happened is I went on a three-year re- three tear of, um, of using cocaine. It turned into smoking it. It turned into me. I moved into a pretty rough section of Philadelphia. Um, and what happened is my, my addiction just progressed very rapidly over there. In that time, my father had passed away, and I had um, inherited his life insurance policy. Oh, wow. Um, my brother with his half ended up uh, creating and building a successful business. And with my half, I think I blew it in six months. Mm. Um, my family didn't get it. I didn't get it at that time. So my mom ended up uh, sending my brother down to pick me up um, in on the side of the street in Philadelphia. I'm 165, 170 pounds. I weighed 119 when he looked at me on the street corner and did not recognize me. Yeah. Um. I got in his car. He brought me up. I went to treatment in upstate New York for a 28 day program. And I remember when I got, uh, I got in there and I was like, okay, all I got to do is finish this 28 days and I'm okay. Mm. Um, and you hear that a lot from people, you know, like, yeah, you I know, like I, everyone thinks that everyone thinks that even like their first three rehabs, like the first few, you kind of think that I feel like, you know, yeah. Well, kudos to the marketing teams of those treatment centers because they had me convinced. <laughs> well, it's such a it's such like because it's such you know denial in the disease. We just don't. We have no idea what we have, and even like to, I tell people like even today like the one thing I'll say like for like advice or whatever to people I'll say listen, no matter how much insight you think you have of what you have it's way worse than what you even think. Like even for me, the yep. insight that I have, it's way worse. I know it is. I know it is, you know, but for you sure, know. for sure. Um, I know that, you know, and, and there's a big uh, follow up to what I've told you guys so far of, of that being true. Um, of, you know, I got out of that 28 day and I started going to some meetings. Um, I moved back, in because mom at that point you know i hadn't burned that bridge badly enough uh at the age of 22 um 
and what happened, man, is I moved back in with my mom. She she only knew what she knew. I only knew what she, what I knew. And my mom's boyfriend at the time, um, she had started dating, and she's uh, she's still with the man. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal individual. Um, that she started dating uh, right before I got back from Philadelphia, and I lived with her. And you know, I did okay for a few months. Um, I remember I I I, I found a girl in uh, you know in the area that I had known from high school and she found me some hard drugs and I, I did them one night. And for, from there, I didn't really touch them again for another few years. But what, ha- but what happened guys is I started drinking and, and booze was never my thing, but like I started drinking, you know, very alcoholically. Um, and to the point where like, yeah, I'd either pass out or blackout. Like it was, those were the two options for me. And, um, I'd usually start fairly early in the day if I had the, if I had the ability to do so, like if I I try to get out of work early to start drinking earlier, if I did get out of work at five o'clock, I start drinking at five Oh one. Um, and every day kind of just turned into the same thing. I burned that bridge with my mom. Um, you know, I started doing that geographical change again. Um, there was a point where I, I progressed actually quite a bit in my um, skateboarding life. I ended up getting sponsored by a local shop. We would go to competitions. Nice. Um, it was a big part of my life. And ultimately what happened is the the booze and whatnot eventually for me, um, I do consider myself an, an alcoholic in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um in my in my own life, when people ask me, I am I am a certified heroin and cocaine addict. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 for me, it it got to a point where my mom said, you know, get the fuck out. Um, you you know, I had I had accumulated a couple of DUIs. I was in toxic relationships with you know you know the people we attract when we're uh, in the in the grips of our shit. Um, they're very like-minded and have similar values, um, due to them usually being sick as well. Yeah. And, um, I was attracting that because that's what I was and that's where I was. And, um, you know, all to, <laughs> it, it, it came to a point where I was like, Oh, all I need to do is get out of the Vermont, New Hampshire area again. And what I did is I moved down to Massachusetts. Um, shout out to Mass. Yeah. 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 Lawtown boys, Lawrence, Mass. I decided oh, that was a good yeah. place to go. Uh, I grew Lawrence. up in Methuen, Sal. What's that? I got stuck in Lawrence for I, I grew up in Methuen. Methuen. So I worked in Methuen. Are you familiar with the Papa John's there? Papa John's. Papa John's. No, he's not. Okay. There, it's it's yeah. fairly new, and by, by by new, I mean 2011, because I went and helped open the store. Um, <laughs> and, and so what happened man is uh it, it got real dark when i went down to mass um i i switched my uh drug of choice from cocaine to opiates yeah. and um you know while, while still having a close second with the cocaine man but um the opiates came with it and and things started to really change i started to uh i experienced the physical dependency of a of a substance yeah and uh, what that meant, you know, with with booze, I never got to the point um, with with the physical withdrawal. Um, cocaine, big, big, big mental game for me. Um, but but that dependence on opiates, which which started with pills and then uh, gradually turned into heroin, and then which gradually turned into fentanyl. Yeah. Um, 
you know, down there, it was a different beast, man. And what happened was uh, two years after I had held, I had held a job there. I'd say about a year and a half. Um, I helped open a store. I stayed sober, like, like white knuckling at heart. I had no solution, none at all. Um, I was just running off complete self-will. Um, I'm yeah. like, I'm going to do this. I know better. Uh, you know, I just have to think my way out of this. And eventually what happened, man, is I ended up robbing that place blind that I worked for. Um, and, uh, I had, I had, I had somewhat of an ultimatum when I left, I, I fessed up to my boss about what I had done. Cause I was the general manager of the store and, um, and dude, he, he, un, he I, I, I just still don't know how to this day, but he was, he was understanding and they took my vacation money that I had saved up and they applied it to what I had took taken from them. Oh. Uh, so what happened for me then was time to go back to mom's and detox. And I couldn't believe she was giving me another, another go. Hmm. Um, she, you were in that state. Like she, like you were still on drugs and messing up. Uh, so I, I went to, uh, I was in Massachusetts and what happened was, uh, I came clean to my bosses. Um, I called my mom. I said, you know, this is what happened. And she said, Oh, that, again, with a different drug now. And, um, I think it was at that point that she really, really, you know, it really clicked for her that like, I was not able to do this by myself. Mm. Um, you know, cause this had been, this had been a, a long and, and mind you, a 2008 was my first and only rehab at that point. And right now I'm talking to you about 2012, 2013. Um, and what happened is I went back home for, for two years to Vermont or about, uh, about, yeah, about two years. And what I ended up doing was continuing the same shit. I detoxed at my mom for 16 days, uh, with no sleep. I remember. Oh man. And, um, and I was losing my mind and I came out of it and I got a job. And what happened was the job that I worked at is my bosses agreed to pay me in opiate pills. <laughs> oh my God. What the fuck? Yeah, dude. dude. And, um, you know, and it was like, you know, I, there, there was a long time in my recovery guys that I'm like, how dare they, you know? And, and, but I look back at it and I'm like, dude, I, I, I attracted it. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the, that's the stuff I brought toward it, it. It was what I sought out, and I wanted to blame everybody else for my shit. Well, yeah. it's also sound like you know, like again now in, in in a healthier mindset, right? Is that you look at it, and be like, "Holy shit, that is like awful!" But like, not only did they know what they were doing, they knew who they had. Exactly, and that kind of arrangement was going to be acceptable to like this connection, like anyone else would be like yeah of course that, that sounds absolutely ridiculous like why would anyone accept that like they knew what they were doing and they know who they had and mm -hmm. it was, you know off we go like yeah. acceptable on both fronts well well exactly man and and something that i i look back at you know in retrospect from where i sit now and and what it was is like they were users too man like they you know and i look at that as like dude i would have done the same thing if the roles were reversed if i was using you know and, and that's just kind of like that for me personally is how I roll when I have, when I put substances into my body, um, I, I turn into an animal and, mm. and, um, dude, I, I don't want to like sit too much on this. Cause I, I, I th a big part of my, a big part of what I do, man, is stay, stay in the solution of how I stay well. And, um, I'll, I'll, I'll fast track a little bit through the next couple of years is, um, I went to a couple of treatment centers in Vermont, um, moved up to Burlington, Vermont. I lived there for quite a while, um, uh, moved in with a girlfriend. Um, I got severely, you know, so the, the heroin stuff just took off. I was selling it. I was using it all that. And what happened was 2015, I went into treatment 
get out 2016 went into treatment get out 2017 i went into treatment uh five, i want to say four times five times in 2017 and um you know, I'll speed it up, man, to right before, right before I got sober in 2017. And what happened for me was I was, um, I was in a detox facility and a couple days prior to that, my, my mom's boyfriend, who I'm very close with now in my recovery, um, he said to me, he said, you know, I think you need to pray to God or whatever it is to you to help you see things differently because you're not seeing things clearly. Mm. And, um, I was in that detox a few days later and I had a mental breakdown, like an emotional breakdown in the shower. And I just remember dropping to my knees and I could not stop bawling. And I put my hands together and I said, God, or whatever you are, help me see things differently, no matter what it takes. Um, now, guys, this story gets interesting because the next thing I did two days later was I left that treatment center against medical advice. <laughs> um, and what that happened? Thought, Sal. Oh. <laughs> Well, what, what happened, what followed those uh, two days is that the day after I left that treatment center, I, um, I had gone down to Lawrence to meet an old buddy of mine who helped me out or what I thought helped me out at the time. And I came, came back up with a bunch of heroin and I'm going to go along my merry way and sell it to whoever will buy it. And what happened was, um, that next day, and this was August 2nd of 2017. And it was a scorcher that day. I remember it being a hundred over a hundred degrees. Um, I woke up in a house where I didn't know anybody and I was drenched from head to toe with three police officers above me. And, um, I had felt somebody going through my pockets while I was coming to. And all I thought in my head was I panicked that somebody robbed me while I was overdosed. Mm. Um, and that, that, that ended up being true. But what happened was when I, when I saw the three police officers above me, I thought they were the ones going through my pockets. And so I go, okay, this is it. I'm going to jail. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jail and I'm going to have to detox and withdraw and go through all that in jail. And, um, and what happened was they brought me outside and they asked me where everything was that I had on me. And I, and, and, you know, me being the good drug addict I was at the time, I wasn't going, going to admit to something that they didn't have on me at that time. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. So they let me go. And, um, I declined the ride to the hospital that they offer you when you overdose. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what happened, man, was, uh, they ended up telling me, okay, get out of here. And an hour later, my roommate from rehab that I convinced to leave with me a couple days prior picked me up and he said, we're going to go find that guy that took all your money and your drugs. And, um, I got in the car with him and I was on a mission to do that. And something hit me in that car ride. Something hit me that I'd never felt before. And I sunk down in the seat and I, and I started to regret the decision to not go to the hospital when those EMTs offered it to me. And, um, it, you know, there, there's the word surrender gets thrown, thrown around a lot and everybody has their different experience. But for me, that was the moment, um, of like the jig was up and I had, I had attempted everything. I thought this was going to be my success, my, my successful, uh, time to, to, to maneuver, you know, to all the people I knew in the drug world and sell my drugs successfully and, and make it. And it was this, um, it was the story I had in my head for so long of like, if you could just figure out how to do it right, man, everything will be okay. Yeah. And, um, I told my roommate from the rehab, I said, drop me off at the emergency room. I don't know where else to go. And he dropped me off there and I walked in and I said, I need help. And they put me in a room and they said, the doctor will be in to see you. And, uh, the doctor comes in and he says, we don't 
detox heroin addicts here. We only detox alcohol alcoholics. And um, I had a social worker come in a few minutes later and she looked at me and, and, and it was the first time I felt some felt actual compassion in a long time. And she looked at me and, and I could tell she was she was authentic with what she was approaching me with. Right. And what she had said to me, she said, Sal, there's there, you have a long record over the last year of overdoses because this was not my first. This was not my fourth. This was not my sixth. This was much more than that in that year. And um, she said, are, are, are you trying to kill yourself? And I said, no, but you know what? I'd rather be dead right now. And um, what happens when you say that in a hospital? What happens when you say that in a hospital is a doctor puts a little check mark in a box and you get locked upstairs, upstairs for at least seven days. Um, and, and legally you cannot leave. Um, and, and so I was on suicide watch for a few days and, um, I was very miserable. And what happened guys was I was in that psychiatric unit in, in the middle of summer in, in August of 2017. And I remember being in there and there was a guy who used to walk up and down the hall and he'd scream 24 hours a day. He would scream at the top of his lungs. And there was another guy, he would sit in the middle of the hallway, set up a chair and he'd piss himself and the nurses would have to come clean it up. And when they'd come clean it up, he would laugh at them. And I'm, and I'm in there and I'm like, what am I doing around these people? This is insane. And on day number six, uh, little did I know that my mom had been talking with the staff there about getting me into treatment in Portland, Maine, outside Hmm. of the state of Vermont. And what happened is they brought it up to me and they said, Hey, you, you can get out of here, but you got, you have to go to a six month, uh, uh, treatment center in, in Maine or Rhode Island. And I mm. said, I'm not doing any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not yeah. doing that. You guys, you guys are nuts. Uh, so my mom came and visited me on day six and I remember she drove across the state and she sat with me and she said, what are you, what are you going to do? And I said, mom, you know what? This guy sits in the hallway and pisses himself until the nurses have to come clean it up. Then he laughs at them. This other guy walks up and down the hallway screaming 24 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I said, these people are absolutely insane. And she said to me, she goes, well, it looks like you're exactly where you need to be. Yep, I knew it. I knew it was coming. I I called it five minutes ago when you first stopped (laughs) Oh, I'm like, when's he going to say it? He belongs. When's he gonna say it? That's awesome. Oh, so, man. dude, uh, what happened was the next day, the wildest thing happened. And I was so damn depressed in that psychiatric ward. Uh, and what happened was I woke up the next day with the biggest smile on my face that I couldn't wipe off my face. And I walked up to the nurse who, who looking back was a recovery guy. And I, and I had my suspicion while I was in there just for the way he talked to me. But yeah. the nurse, I walked up to him, me and him had pretty good rapport through my stay there. And uh, I walked up to him and I said, dude, I'll go to Portland tomorrow. And he called my mom. My mom was on her way the next day and I drove up to Portland and I ended up uh, going into the Salvation Army, which is a it's a faith based program up here. Um, like I, I, I preface this with I'm not a religious man. I have plenty of friends who practice religion, who do phenomenal things. Um, but that that program saved my life. I lasted 24 hours in the Salvation Army in Saugus, Mass. I was not having it. I hit Route 1, the highway. I hit Route 1 with my trash bag and said, fuck this, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Dude, it's not an easy easy program, but there's a reason it's not an easy program. The work therapy thing had me. They had me just stapling all day, and I couldn't do that. Like, in my mind, it was like, no. 
<laughs> Dude, I, I, I was the, I was, uh, I was a mean stapler for the Salvation Army. I was a really, uh, I think they made a plaque of me after I left. <laughs> the best fun. stapler this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, the there's a picture of the worst, which was me, and then there's a picture of the best, which was you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah man, we got to get a dual plaque at some point uh, uh, constructed. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. The folks at Salvation Armor, if you're listening, <laughs> Dad would like his plaque delivered to his home, and then the plaque for Adam you can also deliver to his home. So, so guys, I just wanted to uh, I wanted to finish this off by saying what. So I had uh, I had two and a half years sober, and right at the beginning of the pandemic, man, uh, about six months prior, I um I got I really got away from what was working for me, and this was in 2000. Uh, this was in January of 2020, and what happened is I took a drink one night. Um, with a buddy of mine. And um, within a month, I was back to doing the same stuff I was. But here's the catch, right? Is I had never had money when I was a drug addict before, but I had had two and a half years sober. And what I thought to myself was like, this will be sustainable because I have a bank account now. <laughs> and, um, and dude, like what happened for me was I, I luckily built some great connections in this area of, uh, my buddies in the rooms. Um, a lot of my friends in recovery, some really strong men that had some really strong recovery. And, um, what happened was I was able to, I had, I had a uh, girlfriend at the time who said, you need to go talk to one of your friends and tell them what's going on. And I did. And he, uh, he really pushed me. And I had some really close people that pushed me. They said, dude, just go get somewhere right now. And what I did the next day was checked in. So I had about a month and a half long uh, relapse in 2020. My new sober date is March 31st of 2020. Mm. Um, and I've been sober since. And, and something that came with that was it was a really big struggle for, for me coming back from a, from a relapse after I had some time. And, um, I had some people in my corner that really helped push me through that, like first four to six months where I was really beating the shit out of myself for, for going back. But, uh, ultimately what, what I came to realize was I didn't lose the experience I had prior. I just, there was something missing that I had to pick back up. Mm. And, um, and dude, in the past, uh, in the past year and a half, um, I partnered up with a friend of mine. We have three 12 step recovery houses in, uh, in two in Saco, one in Biddeford, which we actually just opened about a week and a half ago. And, um, we have, uh, I would say about a third of our guys have over a year sober. That is oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Really? Good stuff. Sal. Awesome. Yeah, guys. Thank you for letting me share that. Yeah, no, thank you. I just, I mean, for me, I just relate so much to what you shared. Um, it's hard not, you know, for me, like, I just think like anytime an, an addict shares their experience, it's, it's virtually impossible for me not to relate to something. Right. But like the, the in and out of treatment, like it's fucking, it's tired. It's more tired. It's just as tiring as the using. For mm -hmm. me. Oh yeah. And the, you know, the psych ward stuff and, you know, just, you know, all that you're saying, like, totally, like, you know, how I've experienced it, too, and so many others, right? <clears throat> and I just, the, the part, um, the part that you shared about, like, the relapse after some time, too, I don't, I, I think I shared with you last night, I, I had a relapse after 14 years, and 
my resume, my, my 12 step resume looked good from the outside. You know, you know, that part where it says in the book, outward appearances are not always inward reality. Like that, was, that was totally like, me. like outward, like if people asked like, oh, how's Adam doing? Oh, he's doing great. He's taking guys through steps. He goes to three, four meetings, still a week, does this, that, the other thing, whatever. But I was not practicing that spiritual principle of honesty. Mm -hmm. Right. And. I, I was not being honest with my sponsor at like year 12 or whatever. I started to be dishonest. And like, even though I was showing up, like doing stuff, like it did not equal, it did not, it did not help the spiritual malady, the spiritual problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it eventually led to relapse and it's been, it's been a struggle and my ego and pride too. Like you kind of, that's kind of what you were talking about too a little bit I feel like was like my ego pride would not share at year 12 that I was obsessing about using it mm -hmm. wouldn't allow me to do that and or I wasn't able to um so I just relate to you a ton and I'm really glad that you're you're back in recovery and um I'm grateful to call you a new friend so, same to you guys yeah thank you and um and then do you guys do you guys mind if I take a couple minutes to elaborate on um on a little bit of uh you know what you know I know earlier in the uh earlier in the show you had asked you know what um what 12 step means to me yeah. and 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 for me like my current life right now um a big part of it and you know I'll I'll run down like it's it's you know except I have a problem, you know, number one, um, I'm powerless. Like I, I can't, you put me into the ring. I heard a guy say the other day, uh, at a, at a meeting I was at, he said, you know, you put me in, in the ring with Mike Tyson, I'm getting the shit kicked out of me. He goes, same goes with alcohol. Um, and, and, you know, coming to, uh, coming to that realization, man, I heard, I heard, you know, on step two, step three, I heard a guy, uh, when I was fairly newly sober and I was really struggling with like the God concept. And I know that word, that word is scary to a lot of people. It was scary to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, what, it, what it came down to was it was, it was a word and what was some guy stood up in front of, uh, a meeting of about a hundred people. He said, Hey, I just like to start off all my shares like this. I'm 20 years sober. I pray every day and I don't know what God is. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, and I, and he goes, and my life's gotten drastically better. And I go, Holy shit. That's what I needed to hear. Yeah. Um, was that he was taking the action and what happened was his life was improving. And, and it brings me to one of my favorite, just my, one of my favorite slogans in AA and that's action precedes understanding. Um, hmm. is that like, we can't think with our sick thinking and our, our, the way our brains are wired, we can't think our way into thinking better. We have to act our way into thinking better. And I don't, hmm. I don't necessarily know if that applies to your, or to your average human being. Hmm. Um, but it can, but it definitely applies to me. And I know that through experience. Yeah. Um, sure. Makes but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I can, you know, if I just take the action and Adam, I think it was like, you were just saying too, like the, uh, the, um, outward appearances don't always, don't always match the, uh, the insides, man. And, you know, like, cause I can talk the talk and I can even put on, I can even put on a decent front for a short period of time, even for a longer period of time. Um, but if I'm not taking that action to really connect with others to genuinely um, be curious about how others are doing mm. and and 
put my hand out when somebody needs it, like authentically put my hand out, not just say, oh, well, it'll get better. You know, if somebody's really struggling, like being there and showing up for somebody, um, you know, and I'll run down, man, four steps, four and five, which is a moral inventory and, and sharing it with somebody else is clearing those resentments with my alcoholic parents, me and my mom, my mom's one of my best friends now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we, and that's, that's been mended through the process that I've gone through is, uh, is that relationship. And, and what happens was when I ended up making amends to her on my, uh, on my ninth step is, is my mom actually in turn made amends to me. Mm. And, and that's the power. That's, that's what I have witnessed in my own life is the power of what, the process of the 12 steps has done for me is I had no intention of my mom making amends to me when I went into that. And what happened in turn was our relationship, our bond strengthened beyond anything I could have imagined. Mm. Um, and then move, move along to the 10, 11, 12 man is, uh, is just continue to stay on top of, uh, of myself, admit when I'm wrong, which is really fucking hard still sometimes. Mm. Um, you can ask my wife, we just got married two weeks ago, but she, but that's, but that dude, that's, that's one thing right there. It's like, when I'm wrong, I want to hang on to that. Cause I would rather be right than happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I heard you're visiting mass in October. Is this true? Is this true? We, statement? we are. So my, my wife, uh, my wife actually makes, uh, she, she creates artwork and, um, uh, it's, it, it sounds weird when I tell people what she does, but she actually, uh, creates artwork with insects and bones. <laughs> oh my God. So she does sort of, uh, you could call it like oddities, oddities stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's actually, uh, going to be dead. We're going to be down in Salem. Um, and we're going to be crashing with Eric's mom down there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Oh, it's good, good stuff. I mean, Sal, I, I think for, for me, I've, like, you know, not being an addict and not being a person in recovery, but, you know, being in this world for, you know, over two decades, the thing that kind of really jumps out of for me, and I hope the audience, you know, catches it. So that's why I'm reiterating it is like your introduction didn't come from some dude in an alley, right? Like mm-hmm. luring you into it. It's friends. It's mm-hmm. It's associates. It's people really like close as possible. And I think for families to really understand, like be engaged in your children's lives and the lives of their friends, like make mm-hmm. those connections with their, with their parents and ask questions about like, what's going on at home? Is everything okay? Is, is, is Johnny a good student? Like that can kind of go a long way. Cause again, the fear is that like someone else is going to corrupt my son <laughs> is the neighbor <laughs> that you have invited over to dinner like 5,000 times. You know, right, a possible like culprit. So, like, I want to like put that out there that you know I'm glad that you shared that piece of it because that probably is more the commonality than some like rando situation happening in a bar, even um, where people kind of get like enticed, you know, with whatever. Right. Well, it's not the Nancy Reagan days anymore, man. Like, it's not what what was portrayed back in the '80s of uh, of you know, watch the guy on the street corner type deal. It's like, dude, it, it, there's a lot of influence, and um, you know, I was a you know, I was still a teenager. Yeah, I was in my late teens, but I was an impressionable teenager. Um, you know, I was looking to fit in. I was looking to feel cool. I was looking to, um, you know, and my mom, my mom said to me years ago. She said, "Don't you wish you knew?" 
um, the doors you opened when you when you snorted that first line of coke? Like, don't don't you wish you knew what was on the other side of those doors? Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I a lot of times I'll share that when I took my first drink at fifteen. It, you know, it felt great, right? It was my solution. And I, I knew that I had to get as much of it in me as possible. Like I needed it, right? And that was my mentality. And, it, you know, with that mentality was a, a very quick progression. But I also thought, like, I, I remember my parents saying growing up, Adam, everything in moderation, right? So it doesn't get out of control, everything in moderation. And I thought, like, yeah, I'm going to get as much in me as possible. And it, when this becomes a problem, because it's, I'm not mod, moderating it, then I'll just stop. I'll just stop, right? But no, that's not alcoholism. That's not how it works. So. Correct. Um, uh, anything else, Sally, you want to mention before we jump into the five uh, controversies? Uh, no, guys, other than just I appreciate I appreciate you having me on. And um, my hopes with 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 these kind of uh, with these kind of things is that if if it can help one person, it's a success. And I appreciate you guys uh, hosting this and and doing this. Um, the world needs more good stuff, man. And uh, you guys are providing it. So do you want to shout out your uh, recovery program in Maine? Yeah, that would be awesome, guys. Uh, so it's so it's Helm Recovery in uh, Saco in Biddeford, Maine. We're twelve-step sober houses. We are on the verge of actually having forty beds available. We currently have twenty-six available, um, and we are currently in the process of uh, of redirecting our um, a, a section of one of our houses to possibly be a more three-month um, big book uh, study. Yeah. which would which we would invite guys in to uh, come in that are coming out of detoxes or jails to be able to bring them through the 12 steps ourselves. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so you can find us. Do you have an email you want to? Yeah, yeah. So my email is sal, S-A-L, at helm, H-E-L-M, soberliving.com. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing that info. And uh, um, so if, that- anyone, if anyone has trouble... You know, if anyone, you know, can't remember the email or whatever, they can always contact me and I can get, I can connect with you or whatever. So. Awesome guys. Do you, do you want to shout out your, your wife's business? Cause if people are into art and. Yeah. Art, yeah most, most definitely. I'll shout out her business. Her business is, uh, it's called Mucabra and her name is Savannah Saccarelli. Uh, she has a Instagram and it's M U H dot K A A dot B R U H. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah, she does some. She does some phenomenal work. Um, she does incredible work. Very creative, and uh, I could never do anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Good call, Bob Rose. Good call with that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, hit up uh, Sal's wife, and if you know you're looking for a, a solid treatment program, uh, definitely look into you know that part of Maine, beautiful part of Maine. And I, I, I want to say I white water rafted in Saco. Yeah. Yep. Years ago. Most likely, man. Might, uh, may, we, we, we went on the uh, Kennebec River as one of our house outings. We do house outings every month. We went white water rafting up there. The yep. Yep. It was yep. that river. Yeah. It was fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, Adam, do you want to do, you want the music? Yep. Boop, 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 boop.
All right. So this is a segment that we affectionately call the five controversies. I throw out a couple of uh, options. And Sal, as our guest today, you'll go first. Adam will follow up. uh, I'll bring up here with some of the stuff. Now, Sal, don't don't expect like any like great, you know, controversies here because he's pretty (laughs) shitty. Very low expectations. Very low expectations. That's what I'm saying. Well, he is doing a podcast on a Tuesday night, so Lars already. <laughs> my expect- yeah, my expectations have been lowered this evening. <laughs> um, so Adam's gonna get a kick out of this because yeah, th- this one is definitely not good. I-, I I read them prior, but I'm gonna say them anyways. Um, do you keep your cell phone on silent or is it not silent? So like when the phone rings, it actually does the the thing. <laughs> The thing is in rings or vibrates? Correct. Vibrates. A- any reason for that? Because uh, I want to hear it, but I don't want to disrupt the uh, area I'm in, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's very, dis- very disrupting. <laughs> <laughs> Some may call it annoying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Adam? You're going to fucking hate me. So, you know, I'm going to give the two the two answers here. So, if I'm alone in my room, I'll have it on. I'll have it on ring. If I'm anywhere else, basically, I'll have it on vibrate. <laughs> I know that's not how you play the game. With yeah. the two, but it's funny. Our guests get the game really well. <laughs> The co-host does not get the game <laughs> at all. Next. Oh, no. no. You have to go, right? I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> when I read this, I'm like, I don't think I remember the last time my phone was not on vibrate. <laughs> like, it is constantly on vibrate. I mean, I have an Apple Watch, too, so like I can see when people oh, like, call, and that will kind of like vibrate yeah. also. But like I haven't heard the ringer in I can't tell you in, in how long. And the second that I even hear it, I automatically switch it back to like silent and vibrate. I'm like, I don't want to hear this nonsense. I like if you want to call me and talk to me, you know, leave a voicemail or text me and I'll and I'll call you that way. But like I'm not hearing the ringer. Barbaros. Not a fan of the ringer. Barbaros. Yes. You say <laughs> you say when. When you read, when you read this, don't you write them down yourself? Like, you, I don't understand. When you read, when you read this, you, you're the one writing it. Listen. You're, you're saying, you're saying it is as, as if you have someone else coming up with them and giving them to you and you're reading them. You're the one. have a room full of writers who do our show. <laughs> and this is, I'm not taking all the credit. Oh my god! No, I write them down as they kind of appear to me in some way, or if someone suggests something, it goes to the bottom of the list. So this list was created weeks, like months ago. Months. I can't. That was one. I'm having trouble here. Go ahead, continue. (laughs) Shut up. 
So the next one is a doozy too. Um, hard versus soft shell luggage. <laughs> I just spit up my seltzer. All the <laughs> hard <laughs> luggage. Okay. I'm going. I'm going hard on this one. You're going hard. Yep. <laughs> All right. All right. Excellent choice, Adam. <clears throat> um, I'm going hard too. I think it because it just protects everything better. Mm-hmm. Don't want to smush no, your stuff. To give, you're supposed to give a reason, Sal, even though you didn't. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to smush my stuff, man. Uh, there you go. Yep. So I, I heard this a while. I, I'm hard, too. I converted all of my, like, the soft shell ones into hard. But the, the trick with the hard is that, like, if you're checking it in, it adds to the weight of the luggage. And so if you go over, then you're paying extra or whatnot, or you have to kind of, like, open the luggage and stuff like that. For me, still, it, it's not that big of a deal to to go hard. I I, I feel the same way that that hard shell like protects all, all the stuff. Yeah. All right. The, uh, the next one I, I think is a is a fairly good one of two opposing kind of things. Sal, are you into football? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah you said you said Philly. All right, all right. So you're you're gonna appreciate this, and I, and I probably already know your answer uh, before I even ask it, but. Emmett Smith versus Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders all the way, man. Not just because because fuck Dallas, right? <laughs> Ex- excellent reason. <laughs> it's good enough reason for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Barry too. Same idea. Just don't like Dallas. <laughs> um. I, 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 yeah, I'm gonna go Barry Sanders too. I like as a young football fan watching Barry Sanders. I mean, was just like you just were waiting until like something was gonna happen, and it always like something always like happened. Mm-hmm. His ability to do what he did in a very short period of time. You know, Emmett Smith gets all the accolades because he you know he was around longer uh, in Super Bowls with Dallas, and so like he gets that part of it. But like. I think a true football fan, when you put these two guys against each other, I think most like true football fans will always pick Barry over Emmett. I'd agree. Regardless if like, you know, you're, you hate the Cowboys or, you know, ah. whatever, but like Barry seems to like always win out this conversation. Barbaros, I have a question. All right. Why three months ago when I said Brady versus Montana, I was giving you a suggestion for one. You said it wasn't even a controversy. You said it didn't fit the criteria as one. But yet this one does. Because, yes, this one does. How come, my, how come Brady and Montana doesn't? Emmett and Barry played along the same years. Joe Montana, it's like saying Michael Jordan versus like LeBron. Yes, it's a controversy and whatever, but Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders played along the same. Joe and Brady did not. I mean, if it really floats your boat, I'll add it to the bottom of the list. (laughs) Don't don't do do me any favors. 
No, I won't. Trust me. Trust me. Um, All right. Uh, Controversy number four, Sal. Dark versus white meat on turkey. What's your Mm. thought, Bill? Oh, you got me. You got me stumped on this one. I'll say. I'll say white meat. Any, any reasoning? Uh, just because I can't remember what dark meat tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Thanksgiving, you know, in Turkey, you know. Yeah. What do you grab? What do you grab first? What do I you? Go for the, I go for the. I go for the white meat. Okay. All right. There you go. Man. All right. Good enough reason. Adam. White meat, I I just go I go for white meat a lot more than dark meat. So I'm going with white meat. Although I'm I'm evolving my I, my taste buds have evolved into dark meat like more often than it used to be. I I think it's it's tastier than what I ever gave it credit for. I'll say that. Okay, but white meat. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I, again, I think people are, are really kind of like, you know, passionate about this. Like, I know, like, Thanksgiving and like the dark meat, like, is more juicier. There's more taste to it all. But I will gravitate towards the white meat. And a part of my thinking is like, I do the fork full of like cranberry, mashed potatoes, like corn and turkey. All of yeah. one scoop and go yeah. for it. And for some reason, like the white meat captures all of that stuff a lot better than dark meat. So I'm traditionally a, a white meat turkey uh, kind of person. You make a good point there, by the way. I, I, I can't believe I just said that. You, you're making a good point because dark meat is actually a little like slippier, slippery or yeah. <laughs> it has different, you know, different textures texture to it and it won't hold the other stuff that you want to put on it or near it. So you're right. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. All right. Good point. All right. So the, the last one, Sal, here is do you do you delete texts or are you a keep forever text kind of guy? Uh, keep forever, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> I, I know think why. That- I know why. <laughs> Let him answer. What? What's my reasoning? Yeah. Uh, dude, trips down memory lane occasionally. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. And then I just found out. I think doesn't your phone do it? Uh, I, I mean, I have. I'm not a. I. I I'm not an iPhone guy. Mm. But uh, but don't you? I think your phone deletes anything like older than two years, or at least my phone does. It's probably something to it. Yeah. yeah. So after like two years, it's gone because I can only go back to uh, like September twenty twenty one. Oh wow! You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. But yeah, trip down memory lane, guys. Interesting. All right. All right. Adam, keep them. I need evidence in case someone says something different to me <laughs> what, than what I remember than what they text me. So no, and then I'm screenshotting it to them. See, you said it right here, you know. Like in, in, this- <laughs> in 2018, you said this thing. 
See, I have it right here. It's documented. It's doc clearly documented evidence. <laughs> Adam's a, a a wannabe forensic scientist who's going to via text. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, Bummer, I'm, I, did I do it? Uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm the complete opposite. I, I absolutely love de deleting my text. I will go through my phone. Usually, I, I used to do a lot more often, but like once a week, I will find like text from, let's say, even like nine or 10 days ago, and I will just delete everything all the way up until like a few days from the present. And that just brings me so much joy. I feel lighter. Um, I feel... I don't know, like more organized when the deletes, the texts are gone. You delete my text too? Yes. <laughs> but Barbara, how will you ever prove someone said something to you if they, <laughs> well, if they challenge you? Yeah, good question, Sal. How would you do that, huh? 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 I don't know, D DNA, I don't know, some other... <laughs> oh my God. Well, on something, I don't know, who cares? <laughs> Um, Sal, thank you very much for uh, playing this ridiculous game with us. Uh, of course, guys, and, and, you, and you can see how you know, how silly and uh, nonsensical. It is. But again, like I mean, and and you've you've done a good job in sharing your story and like changing it up. And a part of you know the recovery and even like addict journey is that it doesn't have to be like all intense and all serious. Uh, you have to be a whole person, and you you know you've done a great job in explaining kind of what that means for you, what that looked like for you. So I greatly appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of you know your your busy schedule to do something like this, um, and, and share it with the rest of the world. And hopefully, you know the audience really resonates with it. Um, and Sal does some you know great things in in the field of treatment. So if anyone needs any help, uh, he will definitely uh, assist in any way that he can. And uh, look up his uh, wife's uh, Instagram. Uh, for some odd animal bone art. <laughs> Insect. Insect. <laughs> Insects. All right. They're still animals. Guys, thank you so much for having All me. Right. It was uh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to do this tonight. All right. Thank all you. Right. Well. Thank you all. Take care, guys. All right. Yeah, you too. All right. Bye, all Barbara. End I'll of talk the show. See you next week. All right. Peace. Thank you.